So being seated with Christ is the focus. And I want to take you to a book this morning, and we're not going to do the entire book. There's, I mean, if you do this book in, 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 a pro, in a whole series, it'll be months. And it's the book of Hebrews, and I want to just look at a few verses from it and, and build something about our position that we have with Christ from it. But then I'm going to take it a little bit further. I'm going to try to help us understand the appropriate response that ought to be made. And so the title of this message this morning is this, don't just sit there. <laughs> don't just sit there. And there's a, we, we use this often, isn't it, in, in, in communicating with one another. Don't just sit there. Get up and do something, isn't it? Or do something, whatever it is that you often would use. But the title is just, don't just sit there. So the Hebrews is this beautiful, beautiful letter that if you ever want to discover more about Jesus, this is probably one of those that you would love to, to study through and, and discover more about him. And the language of this letter, oh, well, this letter, no, it's not a letter, praise the Lord, it's not, it's a letter. The language of this letter is written in such a way that the people that it's addressed to, the, the Hebrews, uh -huh, come on, that's easy. It's written to Hebrews, it's written to Jews that had a certain understanding of how the Old Testament laws and practices and, 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 and rituals worked. So the language of the letter is to try to get their attention so that they can see what Jesus has come to do. So you would find a lot of reference to Old Testament practices and rituals and, and words like sacrifice and priesthood would come up regularly throughout this letter to help us understand the fulfillment of it in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And so when you read Hebrews, it's good for you to keep that in mind. Sometimes you can try to, you almost get lost in, the, in, in all the details and you're like, oh, where is this and what is this all about? Just try to remember it's been written to Hebrews to try to get their attention to help them understand what Jesus has come to do, okay? So in, in our world, if God would write a letter to the Zimbabweans, maybe he would use certain language that is very familiar to us. It's like he would use probably the letter Z a lot because we understand Z, uh, Zimbabwe, Zim, Zimra, and Zanara, and Zesa. What's Zesa? I don't have Zesa. I've forgotten what Zesa is like. Anyway, that's, we, maybe he would use things like that to try to get our attention. Um, and, uh, but, but I want to just take you to Hebrews chapter 10. And, and I want to just uh, reveal or show, share with you a few things about what Jesus has done from chapter 10. And then, before you just get too comfortable, I'm going to again pose a question. Don't just sit there. Because there's an appropriate response that is required. Okay. So let's read together, and we're going to let's look at a summary of the work of Christ and what he's done from this chapter. In verse 1 of, of Hebrews chapter 10, it says the following, For since the law has but, I just want to say first of all, let's just honor the word. And, and just let's recognize the beauty of God's word, not the beauty of this particular book, but the, the beauty of God's word. You know, whatever we celebrate we cultivate. And so this morning, Lord, we just want to thank you. And in your heart, you've got a Bible. Why don't you just lift it up? Your device. Father, I want to thank you for the word. 
I thank you, Lord, that it has been given to us. And, and we are so blessed because of your word. And so we, we honor your word and we pray, Lord, that your word this morning will speak to us. Lord, that anything in our hearts that is perhaps an obstacle at this moment to receiving your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, won't you just remove that? Let our hearts be soft and tender towards your word. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, say with me, never, it can never, by the same sacrifices that the law demand, that's my insert there, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So simply just saying, the law is imperfect. It cannot do what people have hoped it could do. It only points to the fulfillment that has been done through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. So the law is imperfect. So it immediately starts engaging us in this, in this conversation and ask the question, then what is perfect? If the law is imperfect, then something else must be perfect. Amen? Which leads us into the understanding of what Christ has done. And so then in verse 7, for instance, by the way, in verse 4 it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The law is imperfect. Rituals are imperfect. It's only one perfect sacrifice. In verse 7 it says, talking about what Christ came into the world to do, it says, Then I said, this is saying, pointing to what Jesus had come to do, talking about what Jesus would have said. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So Jesus is saying through this quote from the Old Testament that Jesus said, I've come to do your will. So Jesus points to the fact that complete obedience took place, which is the complete sacrifice. So in other words, when we talk about the summary of God's work, we see that the law doesn't work, doesn't save us. But Jesus, who has come to be the complete one, the one who's completely obedient, he's the one that will save us and has saved us. It's good to see men chewing on, uh, on these peanuts this morning, hey? For those of you guys that have not, don't have too good teeth, you can just suck off the caramelized side of it and give the rest to your family if, um, if the nuts are too hard for your teeth. Is that okay? I'm not looking in any specific direction now. Let me just look at the notes. But it's good to see some guys are sucking, some guys are chewing. Obviously an indication of how good your teeth is. Anyway, um, so Jesus was completely obedient. And then in verse 8 it says the following, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. So he's saying that actually a better sacrifice has come. God has not taken the light in the, the sacrifices of, of what men has tried to offer. So goats and bulls and doves and whatever it is that men have offered, it's never complete, but the complete one is Jesus. And then it says in verses 10 to 14 that actually we are cleansed forever because we don't have time to go through everything here in, in chapter 10, but there from verses 10 it says the following, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ Listen to this. 
once for all. So summary of his work, once for all. Doesn't have to be done again. Jesus ain't going to come back to die again. He's coming back to reign, to rule. But we don't have to do something to be saved. Once for all. That's why if your faith is dependent upon your effort or somebody else's effort, my friend, you've not seen the complete work of Christ yet. All right? It carries on and talks about just the fact that we don't have to. It says in verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service in the Old Testament context, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can, there's that word again, never take away sins. But, I love the but in the Bible, hey? (laughs) The B-U-T. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I love the fact that he sat down. He didn't go stand. (laughs) That's what we've been talking about, and Kilton alluded to that, that we are seated next to him. We're not standing, stuff to do. We are seated. There's there's, There's an idea of we are relaxed, we are at rest. And so he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. It's an eventual victory over all the enemies. But a single, but by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That's you and me. Being sanctified means it's a process. How many of you agree that your friend, your partner, your spouse, your dad, your mom, your son, your, child, your children are not perfect yet? You want to raise a hand and just agree that... You know, it's about yourself that you're raising the hand there, Kilton, or about Adelaide? About her? Hmm, okay. Um, the point is, we all agree that we are not perfect, but we are being sanctified. That's why integrating with one another and integrating into the Word and, and letting the Word take place or take shape in our lives helps us to be sanctified. So Praise the Lord for that. So we are cleansed forever and we are a process, in a process of change. Then the last thing that I want to talk about, the summary of the work of Christ, is that our sins are removed. And from verses 15 to 18, it it talks about that. And eventually in verse 18, it says here, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So our sins have been forgiven. Verse 17 talks about the fact that he will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So when God comes and you repent and I repent, he removes our sins from us. So here's just a summary of this redemptive work in these first 18 verses about what Christ is. So again, please, please read that and see for yourself what Christ has done for you. Then from verses 19 to 20, we want to just talk about some of these benefits that are now available for us. So there are three that I want to just highlight for you from those two verses. And again, these are verses that we often read, but so often we don't stop and really just consider them in depth. It says, therefore, now because of the, 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 the summary or this redemptive work of Christ, there's this word, therefore, in the light of. That's why the word therefore is often a very good word to, to stop at. When the Bible says therefore, then look before the therefore, what the therefore is there for. Amen. Don't just, therefore, there. No, no, stop. Look at, hey, there's a therefore. There must be a reason that the therefore is therefore. Go and read what the therefore is therefore then. And go, for instance, read 1 to 18. Okay? 
You're good? All right, those nuts still okay? Neil, they fine, hey? Just checking. So you can't say yes because his mouth is full of nuts. Anyway, um, so then three things that are beneficial for us from what this author, and we're still not quite sure who the author of the book of Hebrews is. Some people say it surely could be Paul, but there's not particular evidence that it was him. Anyway, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, verse 19, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The first thing I want to say to you as a benefit for us of being seated in Christ, of this redemptive work that has taken place, is that we have a reason for boldness. Not boldness. <laughs> boldness. All right? He's not speaking... The author is not speaking of an emotion here. He's speaking of the fact that we don't just feel free, but that we are free. There's a difference. I don't often feel something, but I am that. We sang about this song where it says, the good, good father, I know who he is, and because of that, I know who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am because he is my father. But sometimes I don't feel like a son or a daughter, isn't it? Because of, oh, I've done this and those have done this to me and they don't recognize. And I, for whatever reason, I don't always feel it. But that doesn't change anything about the truth of who you are, isn't it? And so when, when, when the author here says that we have this confidence, it's, not, it's when you feel you have the confidence or the boldness that it is true to enter into his presence. It is a fact. It's a truth. That you have freedom. That you are free to walk and just engage Him. And this is what it means to be seated with Christ. That, that we have been taken out of prison and actually released into a new way of life. And how many of you, we've often, I think, spoken about this. Is that, you know, you can take people out of prison, but it's another task to take the prison out of the, pers of the, of the person, isn't it? What the Israelites went through. They were taken out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. They had to change their mindset. And so here we have this boldness to come into God's presence, but we're like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I've received Christ into my life, but my mindset about approaching Jesus and approaching the Father is still limited by my thoughts and my past and my inadequacies and what people say about me. So it's not if you feel free, it is that you are free to approach him no matter when where or what time it is it doesn't matter there is this open invitation to come and so it really says that we are authorized to come close to God through Jesus with utmost confidence and enjoy the full benefits of relationship with him isn't it true that sometimes when you go to a particular place and 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 then you have the authority to go in, and you're like, okay, no one's going to stop me now. We had to go to the American embassy a couple of uh, weeks ago, and, and eventually when they let us in, we're like, okay, I can walk with God immediately. When you get there, you're like, mm, okay, I've got to just play my cards right now, you know? Um, not bribery cards, don't worry, don't worry. Um, it's just, I've got to just behave and be, you know, friendly. <laughs> and then when they authorize you through security, like, wow, that's a little bit of a, a relief. And now you can go in and have your interview and whatever else. But it's with, with God the Father, we have been invited. We have been authorized to come. We don't have to do anything. 
There's an open invitation. And, and so this is what it means to be seated with Christ. It's like you're there with them with all due respect. We can just talk. We can just enjoy them. There's no rituals involved. There's no sacrifice required. It's been done. So now you have boldness, freedom. The second thing that it says here is that we have an, a way that is new and living. It says in verse 20, by the new. How do we have this access into the holy place? By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And so it speaks about a new. It's new because it's something we have never tasted of before. Never. And it is living because it comes through someone and not something. It's not a system or a formula that has now enabled us to come into his presence. It is someone who has made all the effort to invite you and me in. That's being seated with Christ. That's what it means. I'll never forget the first time in my life after I got saved. I'll never forget those initial moments where I started spending time just reading the Bible. For the first time, it was new. And it was alive. It was living. It's like the Bible made sense. And there's so much that we needed to, that I still need to learn about just the beauty of the Bible. But even things like Psalm 23, there was like this Psalm. <laughs> or the portion of Scripture that I knew until I got saved. The only portion of Scripture that I knew. But now Psalm 23 was alive, and it was new to me. And that's what the author here is saying. When Jesus was torn on the cross, a new way of fellowship with God was opened for us. That's the new and living way. Then thirdly, as we dive into these benefits, it says then, and since, in verse 21, and since we have a high, a great priest over the house of God. That talks about this person that represents us. Our approach to God is no longer through ceremonies and, and rituals. It is now directly through the completed work of Jesus on the cross. He's our priest that stands forever, interceding for you and me. But he invites us to come and be seated with him. And so someone is representing us. It's like a lawyer that represents you in court. You're not allowed to get up and say you'll say. <laughs> Somebody has to do that for us, isn't it? And we pay them for it, big money. But here we have an advocate that gets up. He says, Father, this is my daughter. She accepted you or myself into her life and repented. I just want to say, she's going to come sit here with us. How beautiful is that? It's like he invites us. There's no one else that represents us but Jesus. And I just got to say this at this point, that the ceremonies of the Old Testament are all abolished because the one that all of these ceremonies point to has arrived and done what they refer to. So we don't need Old Testament ceremonies and rituals anymore. All of them have been abolished because one sacrifice has come and changed it forever and so in other words if we today still depend on people to do something for us spiritually we're actually going back to old testament practices 
And then these are things that often come in and they rear their heads. We're going to have the pastor come and just pray over our house. We're going to have that man lay hand, lay hands on me so then healing can come. We're going to go and, you know, make sure that um, when that person preaches or whatever does, whatever, we're there because there's something special that happens to that individual. So what we're saying is that the complete work of Christ is not complete. Somebody else can make it more effective. And so whoever so-and-so is in town, hey, we've got to be there because, and I recognize gifts and, and God using people in all sorts of ways. Praise the Lord for that. It's wonderful to see how God uses his body. You guys, where God will take you into your family. And as fathers, you go and be the father in your house. Be the mother. Be whatever it is that God's called you to be. I cannot go and do that for you. None of the elders can. And no other special man with the, you know, the power of God upon them for the hour can necessarily change your world. It's through you. But if we live with a mindset that says, <laughs> if, only, if, only, if only we can have so and so in this nation, then this nation will change. You in this nation, you're the anointed man and woman of God. You have God's power upon you to go and declare and, and to, to destroy the works of the enemy as God uses you. You don't need somebody special. And God uses those special gifts to actually empower you to do what you're called to do. Amen. Amen? And so we see that we have this one high priest representing us. And that's enough. You don't need anybody else. And this church is established by Jesus. He's the high priest of this church. The elders aren't. We have a function to fulfill. Praise the Lord for the privilege. But that doesn't make us any better than you. And you can pray for one another. And you can counsel one another. And you can speak into each other's lives and help one another. You don't, oh, where's Vesey now? Where's Clive? Where's Kilton? Uh-uh. It's, yeah, the great high priest. His name is Jesus. I'm not that. The power of God, the anointing of God is here amongst you. That's why we often say this. The power of the church is which side of the pulpit? Your side. I have a privilege here to encourage you, but the power is that side. It's you. So look at your neighbor and say, ah, ah, you thought it was the other side of the pulpit, eh? Ha, <laughs> ha, this morning, wake up. All right. So we see that these three things are benefits for us from this wonderful redemptive work of Christ on the cross. For, so for 10 chapters in this book, the writer has been telling us about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So go read it for yourself, the first 10 chapters of, of the book of Hebrews until verse 21. He's been telling us about the great work and the effect of it. Then from verse 22, <laughs> he's actually saying, don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. He's saying that we cannot just marvel at what has been done for us without asking what our response should be. And our position with Christ requires an appropriate response. And then he goes into a few things here that I want to end with, and there will be four, that I want to just remind you of that because of your position in Christ, you have an action to take. Of being in Christ. So don't just, you know, I'm so blessed. 
Oh, thank you, Jesus, for all the blessings. Oh, seated with you. That's amazing, eh? <laughs> no, no, okay, there's a responsibility. And we need to discover that for ourselves and apply it. And so Paul, oh, Paul, I'd so love to say Paul. One day in heaven, we're like, Jesus, please tell us who wrote this letter. But anyway, the author says three things when he uses those words, let us. Let us. I love that. When he does it. So first of all, he says, let us draw near. So what does this really mean? Let us draw near. Because in verse 19, it says, you have confidence to now enter. So you have boldness to enter. But he actually says, now do something about it. Enter. <laughs> it's like I often drive up here in our neighborhood in Hillside. And, and Leander um, Avenue has, is confusing to so many people. Because if you come from south to north, you've got to stop. There's a giveaway. All right? But when you drive from east to west, there's no giveaway. You can just drive. But a lot of people are like, I guess for some that has happened that those that should be stopping from east, south to north or other way around didn't stop. But it's like they stop. Then I'm coming. I'm like, you can go now. You really can go. <laughs> it's not, you don't have to stop. I'm stopping. You can go. They're stopping. They're still stopping. I'm like, go now. You can go now. <laughs> but they don't. And it's almost like the author is here saying, you can go in now. Let us draw near. Don't. Um, am I good enough? Or should I done, done something more? And, uh, and, and, and I didn't go to church last week. <laughs> I can't talk to God. Let us draw near. Come on now. Cross over. You can come into the presence of our mighty king. It seems like we, we need to be encouraged. Even if we have the a boldness already, we need to apply this boldness. Because having boldness and, and actually entering with boldness are not necessarily the same thing. I've got boldness to go and speak to the man. I'm just not doing it. I'm just not doing it. Your boldness needs to lead to an action, isn't it? Can't just say, I'm as bold as anything. <laughs> Let me talk to them. No, it's fine. I'm oh, just a busy, too busy. No, we've got to have boldness to actually do what needs to be done. It is one thing to know the theory of who Christ is and what he has done. It's another thing to walk in it and pursue and apply it. So drawing near means we need to approach God. So how's your journey with Jesus at the moment it's not how often do you approach and what is your proof in your your daily life like but it's are you regularly just enjoying being with him not just approaching him because you've got a list of stuff to talk through with him but are you just drawing near and enjoying it says and secondly the net another let us is in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast. This is part of this, don't just sit there um, scenario. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because for he who promised is faithful. And see, it says that we need to fast, hold fast something and actually confess it. But if you don't have something to hold on to, you don't have anything to confess. And so the author is really saying, do you have hope? Because hope means that you start confessing something and you hold on to it without wavering. 
You don't let go of it and say, my hope is in Christ. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, our absolute hope is this. That our king will never change. No matter how bad and how tough our world is, our king will never change. So we can hold on to him. We can hold on to his character. And then we can hold on to this promise that actually this life is but just a moment. We do not talk enough about eternity. We talk so much about this temporal life. About how can we cope in this, this temporal moment. But eternity is... If this eternity was from there to there, and we know that eternity doesn't have an end, your life and my life on this earth here in Zimbabwe is but a speck over there. Just like a tiny market you can't even see. That is your 80, 90, 100, whatever years we're going to be here on earth. That's what it is. Eternity. And so that's our, that is our actual hope. That eternity is what we live for. And so what happens in that little space over there, in the 80, whatever years it is, has no real effect actually on eternity if Christ is our king. So it isn't easy at the moment. It is tough and we don't know how to cope. But hey, my hope is in something beyond what I'm currently experiencing. It says that, and go with me just to Hebrews 11. Let me read to you just something about this in verse 13. Because Hebrews 11 is this beautiful chapter about how a walk with God was applied, and, and we read about the heroes of faith. Verse 13, it says in Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them. How's that? Not having received it, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, which you and I are. Stranger? Exile? This is not your real home. So don't hold on to your little home too tightly. <laughs> All right? It says in verse 14, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, these people of faith, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Much better than Zimbabwe. You can't think that there's anything better, but there is. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's our eternal destination, ladies and gentlemen. And we've got to marvel at that and not just get too stuck on this current world that we're in. And I understand we've got to make a way through it. And, but you know what? There's a clear connection between embracing the heavenly hope and serving God effectively here on earth in the meantime. That heavenly hope keeps me going. That is our ultimate hope. This Jesus. Life with Him. We do what we are called to do here on earth faithfully. Because we have some hope of something better. And that hope is securely based on the faithfulness of God. We do it without wavering as well as the author says here. <laughs> so I, I want to just pose these questions to you. So what is your current hope? Is it just a hope for tomorrow that lifted a little bit higher? I have a hope that in 60 hours, God willing, I'm going to see my son and my grandson and my daughter-in-law again. I haven't seen them in months. 
And we're so looking forward to going being with him in Canada. And that's great. I'm going to be with him for a month. But, and then there's something still bigger that we live for, that we hope for. And, and, and it'll be great to be together again with friends and with you. But there still is a bigger hope. And, and we've got to find that in our card. And we've got to believe that. And we've got to confess that. And we've got to speak about it and hold on to it without wavering. I can't just, oh God, please just get me through this miserable world so that I can get to heaven. It's like I live with that hope and I confess it here and I bring hope wherever I go. There are people that are living without hope that need to hear about your hope that you and I need to hold on to and confess. Then the last two things that we see here in this portion is that not only do we need to draw near, let us draw near, let us hold fast. Then it says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So by the way, now the moment of just sitting there seated with Christ is now becoming a little bit uncomfortable. It's like, whoa, the seat is becoming a bit hot. I'm just sitting down and relaxing. It's like, now just sit there, don't just get up and talk, get up and encourage. It says, let us consider actually one another first of all. And please, Paul would have, oh, it's lovely to use Paul's name. Paul would have done that. But he said, don't just look at your own needs. Look out for one another. So here it's supported. Let us consider one another. Because our hope is in God. Our hope is not in what I can find. In, but our hope is in how much can I help you? That's really when this walk and of being seated with Christ becomes truly something that has a benefit for not just you and me, but for others. We ought to accept the responsibility of encouraging one another. We cannot just marvel at our position without encouraging others about it and towards it too. Sometimes a brother is weak in understanding what it means to be seated in Christ and what Christ has done. We encourage, but we need to lure others that have no clue about what it means to be seated with Christ into the same. And that's what we call reaching out to the people that are far from God. That's again, don't just sit there. Look at all my blessings. Get up and share it with others, particularly a brother, maybe yeah, even this morning. And even beyond this. We all need encouragement. I mean, I, a friend the other day just challenged me. He said to me, Vessi, I'm going to ask you to do the following. And I have this relationship with him. On a monthly basis, I, we get together on video call and, and we just talk. And he said to me, I want to challenge you to ask God to show you the beauties of God around you. Just the beautiful things about God. It's not just the beautiful trees or whatever, but just the evidence of God. So yesterday we go, Samin and I, we go to, to the Bendover Market. You know, we have a boutique there. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we go and look for some items for our, one, our youngest son that we'll see uh, this evening. And so he wanted a warm jacket, and so we're like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And what we do is we, I fit on something, and Samina has to take a picture, and we've got to have him ready on the other side. So, okay, what do you think? This one or that one? Like, and we warn him, you've got to be ready on WhatsApp. We're going to, so it's hot as well, I've got to fit these jackets. And so we're going in, and the first little stall there is, is Samina, one of those 
she often stops there. She said, why don't you just look here? I'm like, I'm not really in a mood for, for buying any clothes now. And I'm like, okay, here's something warm. And I fit it on. And I'm like, yo, this fits nicely. Four dollars. The lady says. I'm like, gee, that's nice. I zip it up, put my hands in the pocket. And I'm like, there's something in the pocket here. I'm like, oh, goodness. You know, you never know what's in a pocket, eh? Because it comes from anywhere in the world. Could be somebody's tooth that they lost away. I don't know. Like my hand's in a pocket and I feel it's round. It's a coin. I take it out. And it's a coin of a country. It's a $2 coin. From which country? Canada. How's that? We're flying to Canada tonight. And it's kind of like the God is just saying, hey, this... <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, I've got $2 to spend, Lord. <laughs> of all the clothing that I could fit on, in the hundreds of piles that there are at the Bendover market, I found one $2 coin in one that I just went in to just try on quickly. And there's a 2 I'm like, God is saying, I'm smiling over you, my son. Sure. So I came home and I took a picture of this and I sent it to my family, my, my, our immediate children. They're saying, God is good, isn't he? I mean, $2 is $2. I've paid for it actually just $3 something because I don't know what $2 Canadian is against U.S. But still, I mean, it was nothing. It was like a giveaway, but God was just saying, hey, look at my beautiful hand. I want you to see it. It's all over. And I saw it yesterday in the pocket of a simple jacket or a top. So beautiful. And I, I want to encourage you to look out for the beauties of God in your life. It's there. It's evident. Sometimes we're so busy that we don't notice it. And so I was encouraged. We live to encourage one another, and we live to be encouraged. So look out to let us, it says here, let us consider how to stir one another in love and good works. We've got to take care of each other, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to do that. Don't just take care of yourself. Don't just sit there and say, well, it's wonderful to be seated with Christ. Get up and do something. Not to get seated with Him. It's already been done. But now you have a responsibility. And the last thing that it says here, let us consider how to stir up. And then it says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. So he's actually saying, let us regularly gather. Let us enjoy one another. And as we gather, he even says that again. Then what you need to do is encourage one another. So you have an opportunity there this morning. <laughs> You're going to go and have coffee and tea just now. And if you have some nuts left over without the glazing, then you can share that. But what, what you have is an opportunity to be an encouragement to one another. But we need to put it around the context of let's gather regularly. And what we want to do as elders is to try to connect you with one another in simple ways. We find out, we, we've noticed that it's difficult for people to travel at night and get to groups and whatever else. But we want to try to connect you one to another so that you can be an encouragement to each other. And so that our gathering moment is not just a large group, but it will be smaller groups as well. As we see the reality of what it means to be seated with Christ outworked. I pray that you will consider the importance of what Christ has done for you and marvel at it. But don't just stay there. Take action from your position that you have in Christ.
I want to finish with something um, that I've never done. Today's Father's Day, and I, I felt that the Lord encouraged me, and this is not part of the sermon, so don't time this. <laughs> um, but it is a moment where I want to, in a certain way, I think I say that humbly, and I do not do this also um, just arrogantly, I trust. And, um, but I feel that as a father, I want to bless you. And I want to encourage fathers this morning to go and bless their children. And go and bless children, not just your own. But make an effort. I had the privilege this morning of, of speaking to our eldest son, Yanku, who we're going to go visit in Canada. Still not Father's Day on their side. He phoned me earlier, like 5 o'clock, and we spoke. And, and he congratulated me on Father's Day. And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to now just revert it, and I want to speak a blessing over you as a father. And I just spoke. I want to do that today with my other boys. But I want to do it over you as well. And I'm not in any way trying to say that I'm a father to you. But I need to have a, fa I have a fatherly role towards this church. And it's a privilege. And I hope to do it humbly. But I want to speak a blessing over you. And I wrote it down. And it comes from what I've just been sharing. And so we find that in the Old Testament that it's such a real thing that people spoke blessings over one another. And it wasn't a practice or a ritual. It was a value. And we see even how how Jesus was spoken over by his father. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What a blessing that is to speak over your son. We see how Paul ends his letters and he says, hey, grace to you. Love of God to you. And he blesses them with words of affirmation. And so this morning, I want to bless you with these words. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. And it's not about me. I just want to bless you. I want to say to you, the Lord bless you with an understanding of what it means to sit with Christ in heavenly places. I want to say to you, the Lord bless you with an ability to take action from this wonderful place He has brought you to. I want to speak to you and say, the Lord bless you with a desire to draw near to God. I want to speak over you and say that the Lord bless you to hold fast the confession of hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to speak over you and say the Lord bless you with a longing to gather with His people and to encourage them. I want to bless you and say that the Lord speak to you. The Lord guide you. The Lord be with you from now and forevermore. And from number six, I want to speak over you and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Father in heaven and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon 
you all. Amen. Amen.